and you just get a far more energized, more aligned organization in which people are working. There's enormous power in just making really, really simple changes, again, to work more effectively cross-functionally. But at the end of the day, every single organization is typically trying to achieve one thing or another to do with money, whether that's for their shareholders, their private owners. Welcome to the e-commerce experience, the podcast that turns you into an e-commerce expert. Your host, Andrew Rodgenkamp, shares his wealth of B2B and B2C business experience to take you on an e-commerce adventure. Each month, you'll hear from industry experts and meet people just like you, looking to take their business to new heights online. Welcome to the latest episode of the e-commerce experience. My name's Andrew Rogenkamp, and I'm here to bring you all I can about e-commerce, both in B2B and B2C. So this month, what we're going to do is talk to a chap called Paul Monkley, and I've worked with Paul before, and he's one of those guys that has is, is had a senior role in both sales and marketing, and of course, you know, that also means that he's had a senior role in digital recently, and he's one of those guys that really knows the difference and looks at an ROI when it comes to marketing and has a look at how it works throughout the whole business. So, worked in sales roles, worked in marketing roles, and has a close affinity with the whole digital piece. Uh, he's now with a company called Emmett Consulting, which he's one of the founders of, uh, and they do marketing consulting uh, out of Melbourne and, and around Australia. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy the chat with Paul, and yeah, here we go. So, Paul, thanks for joining me today. It's really good to have you here. Um, Paul, I've worked with over several years, and he's got a, a great deal of experience in uh, working for several large companies. And what Paul brings a lot of experience in is is around not just the marketing piece, but the sales piece and also the digital piece. I often don't know whether to call you the head of sales or the head of marketing or the head of digital, but um, you certainly span all those areas. And it's a real good opportunity to have a chat about how those three uh, really important sections or, or, you know, departments in a business can work better, you know, what you've seen companies do well, what you've seen companies haven't do well uh, over the years and, and how people can harness the power of those three together to, to really make a difference in their business. So, you know, in terms of that, you know, what we call that sales marketing digital triangle, um, you know, what do you see of some of the most important things in there to do? Uh, thanks, Andrew, and, and firstly, thanks for the, the opportunity to, to join you and uh, your listeners on the um, on this podcast. I, I think you know, culture is the key word. The the, the very first thing um, is, irrespective of whether you have, um, I think, a sales and marketing leader at the executive, or a sales leader, or or a marketing leader, culturally, if you don't set those teams up from the outset to to think as one and to collaborate as one and to behave as one, two things will happen. Firstly, you just won't get that fabulous feeling of energy and camaraderie and drive in your workforce. And secondly, you'll get less than optimal returns from your sales organization. I actually think in particular from your marketing organization. So so, so the very first thing is, is for want of a better word than setting pace or taking the concept of setting pace, it, it's around... I think setting your entire organization up, and, and even beyond sales and marketing, we'll, we'll talk about the technology team and the digital team and the finance guys, for example, to think and behave as one. Um, and I think there are some really, really sort of um, simple steps that you can 
uh, take to make that happen and which uh, some of the more successful organizations um, I've been in have, have definitely sort of uh, taken and, and led the way around. The first one of those, I guess, is, is cadence. So, you know, however much you might sort of sit there culturally and say, guys, we need you to work together. We want you to work together. We want, you know, the, the concept of, of not two different organizations, but, you know, one organization sort of pushing together. Um, if those organizations are set up um, as basic as this sounds on different meeting rhythms, different meeting cycles, talking around um, different things, um, especially in their key meetings, uh, then you're, you're not going to expose sales to marketing, marketing to sales, and the digital group to, to either of those guys as well as you could have. Um, and people aren't going to work with as much, I guess, empathy or comprehension. Yep. If they if they were sitting in those departments, so the first thing is those key meetings. I firmly believe are not meetings that your digital and marketing guys should maybe attend once a month or once a quarter. But if you have cadence that says I have key performance meetings every week, every fortnight, every month, um, those functionally led meetings, let's say they're sales led, for example, um, those sales led meetings should have your marketing guys and girls in every single meeting. Your digital representative, and for that matter, because we're you know we're talking about how teams work together, very much your performance people, your um, your business performance people, your finance guys and girls, you just get a much richer conversation, um, and again, you get so much more empathy because you really appreciate the pressure that is on each of those individual departments that otherwise you, you kind of think you know, but you never really feel. Um, the second piece, then, I think um, successful organisations definitely go really well on is uh, around KPIs. And I'm not saying for a second that your sales org and your marketing org and your digital team won't have functionally specific KPIs. But at the end of the day, every single organization is typically trying to achieve one thing or another to do with money, whether that's for their shareholders, yep. their private owners, or, you know, I hate the term not-for-profit, mm. but, you know, collecting money to put into to something that is a uh, uh, incredibly valuable and important at a community level. It's all about ringing the cash register at the end of the day, isn't it? That's exactly yeah. what it is. No organization survives unless they have cash flow, mm. unless they have money coming in for whatever purpose. So, you know, typically I think my experience is I see the sales guys are really wearing that sales pressure wave. Mm. Um, depending on the marketing department, I tend to find a lot of marketing departments aren't necessarily as commercially orientated as they should be. So they look at... Um, they look at their net promoter, they look at their brand preference and their brand conversion. Mm. Where's the revenue? Yeah. Where's my margin? Where's mm. my profitability? Where are the goals the finance guys are sweating about and the sales guys are sweating about? And, and sadly, often with digital teams, I find they can be a step even further back where they're kind of thought of as the techie guys and girls. And yet they have so much to bring to the table yep. that, again, if they're immersed in those conversations and they're sharing revenue, margin profit KPIs to, to some degree, um, they're more likely to orientate around, but really great success, uh, really great suggestions forward around uh, and effectively, you know, help a combined organization achieve around. So there's, there's the cadence, there's the alignment of KPIs, and every time that hasn't been in place, where I've put it in place, my experience for what it's worth, um, it shifts the conversation from arguing about what we're trying to achieve really quickly maybe to a, to a conversation about how to achieve it, but that's still a better conversation. Yep. Um, and then the, um, uh, I, I think the, the last piece is just very much around planning. I see so many marketing teams. I've talked a lot about the sales lab guys. A lot of marketing teams, they'll sit there, they'll develop their marketing plans. 
They'll talk to finance because they want to know what budget they've got. And, you know, this is a little bit cliched, but it happens a lot. They may or may not reach out to their, their digital colleagues, and yet they might be talking about automation or um, uh, remarketing or, you know, sort of uh, driving, uh, you know, increase in their social spend as they, they look at their sort of channel sort of spend mix. Um, and yet in all of those cases, it's almost an afterthought. We'll set the plan and then we'll go and reach out to these guys. Um, so we've got our cadence, we've got our KPIs. How do we move from planning as individual functions mm. and then asking people to come in later to planning together? You know, one of my, my old cliches is there's no such thing as a marketing plan. Let's have sales and marketing and finance and our digital business partners, and even our people business partners, all sitting around the room together, understanding the challenges of the organization together, forming the strategy for that organization together, and then getting down to working together on the tactics. So I think you get, you still have a marketing plan, you still have a sales plan, but everything is underpinned by common understanding. All of those plans are built in a really, really collaborative manner. And then as we get back to that cadence and those KPIs that I've spoken about, everyone knows when they're meeting, everyone knows what those meetings are about, everyone knows what's at stake. And, and the alignment and the sense of energy that comes from that is, um, you know, again, in my experience, uh, pretty infectious. Yeah, because I've seen uh, over the time where, you know, sometimes a digital, somebody who's head of the e-commerce site will get a budget to achieve sales there. Whereas really, if you think about that, often the e-commerce is the tool to get that, but the, the ability to achieve those sales isn't necessarily going to come from the e-commerce team they're facilitating it, they might be able to do some SEO and that sort of stuff. But unless the brand's aligned with that and the sales team are aligned with that, it's a bit crazy having, you know, a budget put against a, an e-commerce team, for, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, there, there are always exceptions that there might be somebody listening that goes, well, that works in my org because my org is very specific in one way or another. Yeah. But to me, you know, e-com is a channel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, retail mm. is a channel, direct sale is a channel. Um, and if we think about um, B2B, which is which is where I spend, you know, not all of my time, but certainly a lot of it, to get the customer onto the e-com platform, there was probably a sales pipeline and decision process that involved a human being in the first place. Mm. So to your point, we've got the e-com guys there, effectively tasked with a KPI, um, which involves them getting as much revenue as they possibly can out of the customers that have signed up. And yet it's quite plausible that those guys are struggling because upstream, they're not aligned with the sales organization that's targeted with winning accounts. Mm. I mean, selling that fabulous e-commerce platform and that fabulous experience, uh, and therefore adding users um, that can drive spend for the guys downstream. And again, yeah, yeah, because sometimes that those objectives I've seen in organizations where the salespeople in a B2B environment actually don't tell anybody about the B2B website because they think that website is actually going to be the end of their job. And so they deliberately, you know, uh, hide it and say, don't worry about that. I'll take care of your order. Whereas, you know, that's the absolute opposite. I've, I've seen studies in the UK that where uh, somebody did a study of, I think, of about 100 organizations, B2B, that implemented e-commerce and not one of them laid off a salesperson because of e-commerce. Mm. I think there's um there's 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 a whole uh, there's a whole podcast in its own in that <laughs> one sales conditions and um, channel conflict yeah but, but I think um, firstly 
I, I can understand the mentality, mm. but um, it's a very, very short-termist view. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the main thought that goes through my head when, when you started talking there was it completely misses the customer preference. Um, the reality is um, customers, you know, for certain purchases, certainly you know, very complex major purchases or the first stage in a purchase, they may want to speak to an individual, mm. but typically customers want to transact in as quick and as convenient manner as possible. Most most transactions just aren't that involved these days. Yeah. So the concept of not selling to a customer the advantages of a really well-built, really convenient, um, really sort of user-centric um, e-com platform, firstly, you know, they're going to they're, they're gonna harm your company, I think, yeah. in the longer term, yeah. to your point. Yeah. It's going to be really difficult to see a sales organization struggle because they've got a fabulous e-commerce platform. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, and the second sort of triggers is just, you know, how the, how the, I guess, the role of the salesperson, I think, then can change to one of, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's, there's maybe initially winning a customer and bringing them into a business, especially, again, B2B, where you may have um, large accounts, for example. And so there's, there's a human process in signing that organization up. But as, as more and more customers transact um, on an e-com platform for the vast majority of their requirements, they actually think it's an opportunity mm. to say, okay, firstly, let's upskill our sellers to be far better strategic sellers and category cross-sellers. Or, or secondly, order takers. Or, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. but I, you know, ideally, I don't really want an order taker. Right? No. I want my e-com platform yeah. to do that for me. Exactly. Um, it's probably a low-skill order taker, but, you know, let's – my question is, why are you taking orders? Why aren't we driving them to the e-com platform? Mm. Solution selling, you know, uh, and, you know, teaching salespeople to kind of sell categories they may not be familiar with, you know, is, is the equivalent of giving them, um, in many circumstances, a whole new career opportunity mm. in a different um, And, you know, there's also, the, I think, then the potential to have just far more involved, value-added conversations with customers as a result of the fact you have the time and the ability, the bandwidth, if you will, to really understand and probe and learn about their business, safe in the knowledge, the more transactional elements. And mm. um, we're talking sales here, but it could also be customer service. I've been taken care of on my um, my e-com and my self-serve platforms. Yeah, yeah. I guess what you're saying is that really at the end of the day, it comes down to serving that customer. If you, if you can't serve and impress that customer with not only your service, but your products, and that everybody in the business is aligned to delivering that same result, it's going to be hard to succeed. Absolutely. It comes back to that culture piece. Yeah. Um, I remember in my um, my very first marketing role, I actually had a background in customer experience and channel strategy. Um, and, and it was a pretty enlightened marketing exec that was really struggling to, to get alignment with, um, with sales. And there were two departments at complete war. And my job was basically to, to get them to work together. And, and, you know, the first six months, three, six, three, six months may have been hard, but by the end of the first year, you know, the barriers were well and truly down and I wasn't that bad a guy and marketing weren't that bad. And, you know, by the 18, 24 month work, sales and marketing were working in absolute lockstep. Yep. And to your point, it comes back to number one, it was a culture piece that says we're in this together. Number two, we shared goals. So mm. we argued cat and dog about how to get there, but it was a much better conversation than the one we were having, which was what were the goals in the first place. Yeah, and then blaming – everybody's blaming each other for the goals not being met. Absolutely. And, you know, you don't even have the same goals or you're not aware of people's goals. Yeah. You know, you're dead from the outset. So the culture set 
the performance measures are set, and from that, everything else comes. So you get better, I think, results, to your comments a few moments ago, and you just get a far more energized, more aligned um, organization in which people are working, and that drives them. Um, ironically, given we're talking e-com, yeah. that actually drives engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the customers can see that. The customers don't get a feel. When you when salespeople are talking to the customers and e-com people, you know, if they're supporting the customers, they know that everybody's aligned and they can feel that sort of joy almost coming out of the supplier, out of the vendor, back to the customer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, 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 um, you imagine a conversation with a would-be customer where that customer walks in and they sit with the sales guys and all the normal cliches apply. But, you know, imagine that the marketing person's in the room and one of the finance business partners is in the room and one of the platform developers is in the room mm. because they want um, a member of the e-com team, and I've just picked a platform developer there, to actually listen to the customer yeah. and hear what they've for the first time. Firstly, as a customer, you're going to walk out and be blown away. Yeah, uh, Because that isn't happening in many organizations, however simple mm. that concept may be. Mm. And secondly, you will get, um, you know, again, I'm picking on the, the developer just for the sake of this conversation. You're going to get a developer that probably in most of his or her past lives has been three or four steps back from the customer sitting in front of a, of a machine. They could be brilliant with the customer. You just never knew because you never gave them the opportunity. Yeah. And they are never going to hear from the customer firsthand, you know, what, what those guys and girls are going through and what they're looking for. Mm. So, yeah, I think I think there's enormous power in, you know, just making really, really simple changes, again, to work more effectively cross-functionally. And, and in this particular sort of uh, instance, actually bring that team face-to-face -face with the customer, bring the customer face-to-face -face with that team. Mm. Only good things can happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think that certainly from an e-com development point of view, having that developer, normally the developer is not going to come up with a solution to say, I, well, they sometimes do, but there's normally a BA, you know, business analyst in the middle of that. But when you put the developer in front of a customer so they can feel the customer's pain of how they, you know, how one process might work for them or something like that, rather than a developer just getting a spec at the end of the day, I think that really enhances the solution uh, that an e-com platform can provide, um, you know, not only to the business, maybe in a cost-to-serve environment, but also to the customer and how, how they're, uh, you know, dealing with that vendor. Yeah, look, absolutely. And, and in a world where it's really difficult to win business, Yep. and to retain business, really difficult to win business at a good price. You, you know, it's really difficult. Mm. I just saw today Woolworths are going into B2B. Did you see that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that that piece that you've just touched upon, that, that could yield a suggestion that might seem really, really small, mm. but that could be the difference between winning that customer and not winning that customer. Yeah, a massive customer. They've had a customer. great experience mm. being exposed culturally Mm. to an incredibly collaborative organization. Mm. What does that tell you they're going to be like to work with as, yeah. a, as a supplier and customer? And secondly, that tiny suggestion, um, yeah, the customer might, might walk away and might go, you know what, these guys are going to charge me 2 or 3% more, mm. but they're already thinking about micro-improvements that, that we can make yeah. that, I don't know, drive version improvement or – um, you know, uh, better net promoter score, whatever it may be. Yep. Um, again, they only set you off on the right foot and they yeah. only drive, I think, um, commercial good. Yeah. So what do you think about having a development roadmap, especially around e-com, but not just e-com, but everything else? And also, I guess, taking into the layer of how does COVID affect what you're doing and, uh, you know, how e-com 
works in with those those roadmaps of the whole business? I think the first, uh, so if I break that down into, into two, um, you know, firstly, the importance of the roadmap. Uh, at the end of the day, your e-com roadmap, your e-com platform is a product. It's a channel to market. It's mm. a service offering, whatever you want to call it. So I think having that roadmap clear, having that roadmap to the, the opening parts of this conversation where we talked about that sales, marketing, and digital triangle, having it that a road, as a roadmap that everybody is bought into and understands, um, and having that sort of re- regular cadence to make sure the sales and marketing guys um, know what's coming through from the roadmap and when um, is incredibly important because it effectively is uh, an opportunity to constantly remind the, mar- the market of the improvements that you're making, mm. the changes you make, the steps you're making to keep your company relevant. Um, and in a world where marketeers should be constantly looking for opportunities to communicate your your product difference mm. um, and um, give sales teams, for want of a better word, an excuse, an excuse to reach out to customers and tell them what's going okay. on. Yep. Um, the roadmap basically requires that. Mm. So, so first and foremost, um, I see a lot of organizations that don't have roadmaps um, and they don't really uh, think in, in, in terms of this is our product or this is our service. And they certainly don't think of their e-com platform as a product or a service. Or a differentiator. Um, or a differentiator. So yeah. if they have got a roadmap, again, to the theme of this whole conversation, it's kind of a, that's a technology roadmap. It's not something for our customers, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, take another look. So firstly, I think it's really, really important and it's a brilliant opportunity as we think about sales, marketing, digital collaboration for the sales and marketing guys to mine um, the opportunities that roadmap for strong messages to market. Um, and secondly, you know, as, as you talk about, you know, the situation we're in, especially as, as I sit here in Victoria, yes. as we're, we're recording this one today, if you think about you COVID. E- you evil people down there. Well, I'm in, I'm in one of the cleaner areas. I think we've got one or two active cases, Andrew. But yeah. It's, um, yeah, if they're going to lock us down, let's get it done now and let's get through this. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think to the, you know, the second, the second point you touch on there, roadmaps are so often something that is thought about on a cyclical, maybe an annual basis as part of annual planning, et cetera. Um, right now, micro gains, micro improvements, small improvements can be the difference between surviving and thriving, if you excuse the cliche. Um, they can be the difference between the sales and marketing guys not knowing what to talk about um, and having something really interesting to take to market. They can be the difference between you know a couple of uh, basis points of conversion rate optimization improvement. Mm. Um, but with something that is as sensitive as your conversion rate, um, those couple of basis points could be a massive driver of margin and profitability at a, at a time when organizations are under a lot of top-line pressure and, and you know are probably looking at their cash flow and their um, their bottom lines um, more uh, more closely than ever. So I think you know with all of those comments about the importance of having a roadmap um, in the first place being in mind, Right now, as much as time is at a premium, we have Zoom, we have Teams, mm. we have um, we have Skype, we have a whole load of digital collaboration tools, which give people the chance to sit down, get together, and really scrutinize every step of the customer journey, every element of their business, and look for the improvements that they can they can make, the little bolts that they can tighten, etc., to drive just a, a couple of points of incremental gain in revenue or sales or margin, whatever it may be. You know, if there's ever been a time to double down, you know, grab yourself a pizza and a, and a beer or a glass of wine and spend a, a couple of hours of an evening with your colleagues working this stuff through, you know, now is the time because yeah, every single inch matters. It's a really good opportunity, um, you know, in 
certainly in the last three months where, you know, for some businesses, things have been super busy, uh, but some, they haven't been busy. It's a good time. I think people get caught up in the BAU of everyday work, everyday business. And, you know, I know the business I work for, we'd have quarterly meetings and um, we'd decide we're going to do this, this and this. And then we'd walk out and we'd be just back to our normal day-to-day business and we never really focused on those things. So we, we now have a thing called OKRs. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, objectives and key results. And it allows us to align that whole, our whole business around some objectives, uh, not just you know individual ones. So we break it down into teams and things like that. And that allows us to concentrate on them for the next three months. We try not to do it beyond that because – you know, especially in this e-commerce world, things change pretty quickly. And if you've got a roadmap, you know, I've never seen a two-year roadmap on e-commerce that ever eventuated being that actual roadmap. You know, it's more like a, <laughs> here's the big picture for two years. Let's break it down and see what we actually want to do in the next three months. And as you say, make those micro changes. And you'll look back on that two years and go, well, actually, we achieved quite a bit there um, without trying to, what, what I sometimes call is boil the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is hard, you know, people's people's rhythms have changed, their their lives have changed, but, you know, you just use the opportunity word there. And, and I think it's as easy it is, uh, as it is to say and as difficult as it is to do. I think that's the mindset we've got to carry. Even when you're having your harder days, you're learning. Mm. Even when things are, you know, looking, there are opportunities. And so, you know, just, just like the example um, with, uh, with the Commerce Vision team there, how do we bring people together, rally them around where the opportunities are, be that in customer service improvement, sales process improvement, you know, micro improvements you can make to your e-com platforms that are quick and not necessarily, you know, huge amounts of money, but, but you know, can, can yield significant gain. Um, and, you know, how do we just find the time the extra energy, um, the extra buoyancy, if you will, to just push that little bit harder as we kind of continue to sort of trudge through, uh, let's call it the COVID year, yeah, and, and give our, our business and our customers and our people everything they can. Because it's a really good opportunity. I spoke about this in a podcast a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to Danny Phillips regarding customer experience, is that it's actually a really good opportunity. You know, we've seen a lot of the B2C customers, get a whole lot of new customers. And it's a good opportunity to grab those customers and show them how good you are and keep them forever. Mm. Because I think come this, you know, and it's I think the terminology is coming up quite a bit in business now is this September cliff everybody's talking about. Uh, some businesses aren't going to survive. And if you're in a position where you've made some material changes to your business to an order to make sure that you are one of those ones that survive, you might find this time next year, your, your results are way better than you could have imagined pre-COVID type of thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, you bring to mind one of our existing uh, clients is uh, is in the health and fitness industry. Mm. So, you know, we Lucky think about them. gyms and we think about <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, the world's ended, right? Yeah. Um, these guys, and a lot of organizations have done this, but they've, they've, they've executed really, really well and, you know, never – uh, underestimate the importance of great execution, but um, they they pivoted really really quickly to um, online classes. Right. Okay. You know yeah. the ability to then sort of subscribe and um, not just join the classes live, but watch those classes through the day. And I can't remember the numbers now, but they they have something something crazy like two or three times um, their online subscribers than they now. Yeah. And what are we? Two and a half four months into this whole thing. Mm. Then they do physical customers. Is that right? And this is like a you know a business has been around yeah. for a long, long time, 
so you know they've got some really interesting challenges you know how do they monetize that model really really effectively Mm. you know how do they kind of keep differentiating so their product is um superior to to the competitors that are you know no catching them up um but they're in the lead they spotted the opportunity the september cliff for them is just not a cliff no um it's amazing that they've got to climb yeah um because they've got a whole load of uh work effectively to do to to drive engagement with these new customers make sure they stay on that platform um and again as, a, as i mentioned to sort of you know in, in, sort of continue to monetize it but you know what a stunning example and and you look at it and you sort of say it's not that complicated an idea either but had it not been for the situation that we're all in now mm. and it not been for some fantastic operators and very very clever people and, and they are and um, they would probably have never done it yeah that's right yeah there's some great examples of that sort of stuff out there i saw somewhere the other day where um there was an article saying stop investing in tech and 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 my son who works at pwc will hate me for saying this but uh he <laughs> stop investing in tech unless it's e-commerce so you know there's a bit of a push out there to say if you've got if you've got limited dollars to spend in tech or in the whole business e-commerce is one of the key areas where you need to be focusing that spend yeah i, I think you know again they'll, 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 there are going to be people that will listen they'll have a a business that has a specific sort of functional shape that means that's not, you know, necessarily relevant to them. Mm. But but even if I sit here and I think about your question, I'm not even sure who they'd be. You know, whether you're putting in a platform because you don't have one, mm. um, or I guess more likely tuning up your platform, you know, every single dollar counts. Yeah. Um, the away from sort of traditional retail and, you know, human to human purchasing to, to sort of, you know, self-service, you know, online purchasing is, is accelerating. That pendulum's not going to swing back, I no, don't believe, I don't believe um, by any stretch of the imagination mm. at the end of this. Mm. Will it Will it kind of counterbalance? Will it come back a bit? Yeah, definitely yeah. will, but it won't go back to how it was. No. And so, yeah, to the point I say, how can I continue to invest in my e-com solution um, on the assumption I've got one in the first place? And, and if not, you know, kind of, kind of get moving now. Yeah. And, you know, I talked about conversion rate a few seconds ago. For me, you've got how much traffic can you get to your site? Uh, and, and the joys that search brings, but the one that always comes back to me is how do I at least maintain the traffic I've got, mm. and how do I work with my platform, my platform developers, my digital team to do everything I can to maximise conversion of the customers on my site because it's such a sensitive measure. And when you've got all of that investment in your platform and the support team already. Every extra dollar that you can squeeze out of it is, you know, it's pure margin. Yeah, money for so, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Just go, go, go. Mm. Um, absolutely e-com. And, and again, for me, I'm obviously a big fan of um, conversion rate optimization. So uh, e-com and CRO for me is is what we're talking to a lot of customers about. Right. So maybe just to finish up, have you seen much of manufacturers going direct to the public what are the risks in like a manufacturer deciding, right, well, I've got a whole supply chain. It might be, you know, some of the large retailers and stuff like that, but I'm concerned that I might be, you know, intermediated by them in the future. They bring in their own brands and suddenly my brand's no longer important to them. How do they make sure that if they want to go to market in a B2C environment, they can do that safely without really upsetting their existing supply, you know, uh, customer chain at the moment? Yeah, yeah. look, absolutely. It's, it's a... I think the first one is it's a difficult one mm. um, because it all depends on your current customers and, and how they behave. And unfortunately, but realistically, there are 
there are probably some uh, providers out there that are more aggressive. Yeah, and Australia is such a small country that we've got some of those businesses that just dominate the market. You know, there's a lot of monopolies or duopolies in Australia. Unfortunately so. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a relatively young country um, in some regards. I think that that's just sort of still comes through in um, uh, the competitive landscape in a lot of industries. But, but look, I think to your question, the first thing is it's really, really important to talk to your um to talk to your existing customers effectively, your existing distributors, your existing channels to market. Mm. Um, because there's there's one thing worse than having um, an argument and feeling like, you know, your supplier's trying to sort of go around the edge of you and that's feeling like your supplier's trying to undermine you and go behind your back. Yeah. You must trust it first. So I guess if you explain to them what your position is, absolutely. just work together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so so I think the, the very first thing is, you know, there's probably that conversation where people are saying, you know, how do we approach them? Well, you know, let's develop to a point and then we'll tell them and, you know, have the conversation really early. Yeah. If it's not going to be a great conversation at the beginning, it's not going to get any better. No, that's right. If you do it behind their back. find out where you are yeah. and you may as well start working on it. Um, and, you know, you do that with care and you do that with respect, um, but that's important. Then I think, you know, very much to the point you touched on there, Andrew, there's, there's the reality of a strong supplier um, is a good supplier. So, you know, you'd hope that the vast majority of, of a company's channels to market, as long as, as I come to my last point in a second, as long as they can see ways in which you're going to work together, I guess, to minimize impact on um, the, the channel, that, you know, this distributor in, or this, this, um, and this current customer owns, um, there should be a good conversation there. Yeah. Um, because it's a conversation that says, for me to survive and for me to thrive, I need to do things differently as well. Mm. How can I work with you to continue to be a great provider to you, but also to start building my own channels to market in a way that minimizes your concern and threat? Yeah. So I think the second is as basic as it is, is that sort of negotiation process and that real open-minded conversation around how can I do this in a way that works for me mm. because strong me is, is better for you, um, but also in a way that minimizes threat to you. And then, and then the last, the last point that, that naturally comes from that probably goes back to the product roadmap conversation that we were we were having earlier. Mm. It, it's amazing how you can differentiate a product. It's amazing how you can tweak and change. It's amazing how you can think about um, two products that appear and, and will be very similar, but with some you know some really good brand work, some really good sort of product development thinking, some really good sort of product and feature thinking can be positioned quite differently in the eyes of a would-be consumer from a product that you might already be providing to, to one of your main sort of channel partners, one of your main distributors. So, so the last piece for me is, you know, how can I differentiate my product? Mm. So I'm still taking something to market directly that is going to appeal to my customers, but is not necessarily going to be a straight cannibalization um, of what is already going to market through my, um, you know, my existing channel partners, um, or you know, certainly in their eyes. So you know, again, talk and talk early. Yeah. Number two, win-win, and and you know, remember that you know a strong supplier is for any partner that we want to work with on a sustained basis is is good for that partner. Yeah. Um, and third piece is you know never underestimate how many different types of washing powder you can get. Right. That's right. It's the old margarine story, isn't it? Yeah. Always. Um, I think I think there's about ten different brands of margarine, and eight of them are made by the same company, and they just differentiate them with different brands. And um, 
Yep. You know, if they if they only had one brand, they'd probably only get fifty percent of the market. By having eight brands, they're they're getting eighty percent of the market. So yep. it's that old uh, adage. Absolutely, I did one um, really early in the Emmet days, actually, and they were in uh, the bathroom um, and building supplies industries. Um, they had one channel partner that was an enormous, enormous part of their business, mm. and, and you know, frankly, that channel partner deserved all the respect in the world because they had enabled this business to grow. But it was only it was only natural, and it was the right point for for this particular organisation to start thinking about kind of, I guess, building up other channels and potentially their own channels to market. Um, they talked to their partner. They talked to their partner early. Mm. They built some products that, you know, as far as they were concerned, they were very similar to the products they were already selling, but they were positioned in a way that they were very, very different as they went to market from a brand and, again, products and features perspective. I'm probably going back four or five years now. Mm. Both businesses go very, very well. Yep. Both businesses will trade together. Um, they've probably got a stronger relationship than they've ever had. And the organization in question, um, the one that I'm talking about, Firstly, has less of a you know less of an exposure, if you will, less of a direct reliance on that one partner now. And um, secondly, again, is a stronger business in their own right um, because they're they're selling more product, they're generating more margin, and um, um, they're able to be a better partner. Yeah. To their, to their key distributor as a result and that distributor might have even found that some of the uh, some of that line that the supplier decided to sell direct or through that other channel might have taken some pressure or, or some inventory off them that they no longer have to stock they can just stock the stuff that sells all day every day and they know that there's another channel that people can get those other products for if they really want those other products yeah, a- yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and there's even you know is there even a conversation that says, if I'm going direct and this is wildly successful, then I'll create a version for you. Think yeah, of me as exactly. your test arm. Yeah, Think yeah. of me as your test yeah. There are so many different ways I think we can change our thinking. So instead of it being kind of a, you know, a, a clash of the fists or a clash of heads, mm. that you can put your arms around each other and work together. And, um, one plus you know, one equals three. Yeah. 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 It's a big old world. There are 25 million people in this country alone. And um, you know, with ecom, there's a there's a massive global market out there. Mm. In the vast majority of cases, Paul, you know, ever the optimist, is going to say there's there's a way. Yeah. You know, there's a how here, and um, I think you've just got to talk and partner and find that way. And you know, the final line is if you ever go home at night, you know, and you know you've been your reasonable best, and you're working with a an existing channel partner who's saying no to you, you know, this is a very very easy thing to say. But you've got to sit there and reflect on what that's going to mean for your business in the longer term anyway. Mm, yeah. Because it's not sustainable. Yeah. All right, Paul, thanks for your time today. And I think the thing that I've learned out of this today is is whether it's with your internal people, with sales, marketing, digital, or in fact, your partners being your customers, especially in that distribution environment, it's all about collaborating together uh, and working for the you know the greater good. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time today, Paul, and we'll catch up soon, hopefully, when we get down to Melbourne again. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, having you guys down here and uh, as, as a Victorian looking at the warmer weather in Queensland. I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to the day when it's safe for us uh, to get up the coast and see you guys in Brisbane. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, thanks, Paul. Yeah, well, I hope you enjoyed that chat we had with uh, Paul Monkley from Emmett Consulting. He certainly does know his stuff. Uh, he knows how to get the best out of people. And uh, if you're interested in him working with your company to help you get the best out of not only your sales and marketing team, but also your digital, help you bring those strategies together, 
Just either get in contact with me via LinkedIn. That's Andrew Rogencamp, so R-O-G-E-N-C-A-M-P. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn or Paul's also on LinkedIn, Paul Monkley, and he's from a company called Emmet Consulting, uh, Consulting.com. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back again next month with um, something different, and uh, we hope you can join us then. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us today on the e-commerce experience. If you found today's episode valuable, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming shows. 